The Bible that we read today, we often think of as a book, but it's really a collection of many books. Does anybody here know how many books are in the Bible? 66. 66. Good job, Laura. And in the New Testament, how many books are in the New Testament? 27. Good. Now, if you didn't know those numbers, that's okay. You don't have to know how many books are in the Bible to be a good Christian. 66 books written over the course of about 1,500 years. 27 of those books are in what we call the New Testament. 21 of those 27 books of the New Testament are what we call epistles or letters. They were letters, most of which were written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote them to various churches throughout the empire, throughout the early church regions. And they would become, some hundreds of years later, what we call the canon or the Bible. One such letter we're going to look at today, a letter called Philemon. It was a letter written by Paul while he's in prison in Rome to his friend Philemon. It's a personal letter from one man to another man. And as we're going to see in the letter, it's also written for a communal audience, for the church that would gather in Philemon's home. We know a few things about Philemon, mostly circumstantially from the letter itself. Philemon was an early convert to Christianity. Philemon was a wealthy man. We know he was a wealthy man from a few clues in the letter. He has a large home, a large enough home that a church gathering on Sundays would gather in his home. They weren't building church buildings like we do nowadays in the early church. They were meeting in houses. And Philemon's home was big enough. We learn at the end of the letter to Philemon that he has guest rooms in his home. But we also know from the letter that Philemon owned bond servants or slaves. And that's really what the subject of this letter from Paul to Philemon addresses. You heard even in the translation, I think Heather was looking at maybe a, um, a different version of the ESV than what we saw on the screen. She used the word slave. We saw the word bond servant. You can do a lot of research on the difference between a slave and a bond servant. In all honesty, there's not much difference. A bondservant had no rights. They were effectively the property of the slave owner. And we're going to see one exemplified in today's epistle to Philemon. His name is Onesimus. We're going to get to know him just a little bit. And we're going to see in this letter from Paul to Philemon exactly what God's heart is when it comes to slavery and how the gospel transforms the way we view institutions like that, and how it transforms whole communities. So these letters were sent from Paul to the various places, and they would be read. They would be written on a, like a papyrus scroll and unfurled and read in community. I brought in a picture to show you an artistic rendering of such a thing. It's a black and white grainy picture. Max, if you can put that up there. It's, you can barely see it, but the title of this is reading the epistle to the Romans to early Christians at Rome. You see the guy with the scroll and everybody kind of leaning in and hearing what the Apostle Paul had to say. I have another one that's maybe a little bit easier to see. It's a color one. This kind of shows the idea of what a house church might look like. Somebody's reading this letter, this epistle. I love the intergenerational aspect of the congregation here listening in. I love the fact that we have the sound of a baby this morning. Is that Georgina who's offering her, her voice to the room here? The early church would have been intergenerational like that. It would have been like the whole family of God in a living room. And so what I want us to do today, we're actually going to look at the entire epistle to Philemon. It's very short. If you've closed your Bible, open it back up again. 
We're going to, what, here's what I want us to do. I want us to imagine that the letter from Paul to Philemon has just come in by courier. These letters were sent out on foot or on horseback, and they were read in a house church. Let's just pretend we're in Philemon's living room this morning. And we're going to look at this letter from Paul. We're going to lean in like the folks on that photograph or that picture to find out what God has inspired Paul to say to us. So picture yourself in Philemon's house. Philemon is a wealthy man. He's probably the CEO of some corporation or something. Maybe he's a governmental leader. And you are gathered, an intergenerational and diverse group, in his living room for house church. And this is an exciting Sunday because someone's just come into town with a letter from the Apostle Paul. So let's open that scroll together and read it. I'll be making commentary every verse or phrase or so so that we can understand it well together. The scroll is unfurled and we're all leaning in and the reader of the scroll says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ and Timothy, our brother. This is basically the the from field on the email. You know where it says from and then the next line is to? This is Paul saying, I'm the sender of this letter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's in chains in Rome. He's been in prison because he's spreading the gospel. And Timothy, who appears to be with him as he writes this letter. Now the two field. Two, Philemon, our brother, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, that's probably his wife, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Paul's indicating here that this letter is to be read publicly to the house church that gathered in Philemon's home. This is not just a personal letter between two men. This is a communal message. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3. Paul opens almost all of his letters. This is kind of like the subject line. Grace to you and peace. Grace the unearned favor of God through Jesus Christ, the unmerited forgiveness of sins. He begins his letter with a reminder of the very basis of the gospel, grace, and the peace that comes as a result of that received grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the next paragraph Paul is going to give Philemon a word of affirmation. He's going to give him some really nice comments about how he's doing in the faith because following that, he's going to give Philemon a bit of a challenge. You ever have it when somebody says, hey, can I pull you aside and talk to you for a minute? And they say some really nice things about you. You know what's coming next, right? <laughs> it's like my nephew Eli is sitting up here, and if I were to say, hey, hey Eli, can, can I talk to you for a moment? First of all, I just want you to know you're doing great, buddy. <laughs> 17 years old, you're playing in the church band, you're following Christ, going off to college in the fall. We're all so proud of you. What's my next word? <laughs> but, yeah, you guys know. You know. That's what Paul's about to do to Philemon. These next couple of verses, they're the affirmation that he gives to Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, verse 6, 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now his next word might be, but... But he uses a different word at the beginning of verse 8. He uses a different word in Greek. He says, accordingly. We expect him to say, but, but he says, accordingly, which I think is a brilliant move on Paul's part. Philemon, you're doing so great in the faith. You're leading well. You're following Christ and you're leading others. You're refreshing the church in the spirit. Accordingly, not but, but accordingly. Because of that faith that God has given you, accordingly, or another way of translating that word in the Greek would be consequently, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Paul's about to give Philemon a hard challenge, a hard instruction. He says, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you. Paul is basically saying here, I could pull rank right now. I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm kind of the general, the four-star general of this operation. You're a commander out there in the field. I could pull rank. I could command you in the law of what's required to do. Look what he says next. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul says, I could command you what to do. That's within the chain of command here. I could do that for you. But I'm going to appeal to an even higher ideal than obedience, than following commands. I'm not going to give you the law. I'm going to give you the gospel. I could command you what to do, yet for love's sake. Because this whole movement, this whole Christianity movement that's unfolding here in the ancient world was all governed and motivated and fueled by the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's the highest motivator. It's even higher than just doing the right thing. And that's what Paul appeals to when he sends this letter to Philemon. I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I could pull rank. Yet, for love's sake, I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I imagine at this point in the reading of this letter in Philemon's home, everybody froze. Onesimus going to learn here later on in the letter who Onesimus is. Onesimus was a bondservant. He was a slave in Philemon's house, and he had done something pretty dramatic. He had stolen something from Philemon's home, and he had run away. It's a big deal. He's a runaway fugitive slave, Onesimus. And somehow he's found himself in the presence of Paul, And something seems to have happened in Onesimus after he ran away from Philemon's home. He seems to have met Christ. Remember in last week's text, we saw that when Paul was in house arrest, he was telling people from morning till evening about the gospel. He was telling that story over and over and over again to anybody who would listen, the Roman guards or anybody who came within earshot of him. And it seems that Onesimus, this one who had run away from Philemon's household, went and found wherever Paul was. And Onesimus heard the story of the gospel from Paul too. And look what Paul says. I appeal to you for 
my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul is beginning in this letter to Philemon to redefine, to show that, that Onesimus's identity is changing. You think of him as a runaway fugitive slave. I see him as my son. I've become like a father to him, and he's like a son to me. You see this language that Paul is using? He's beginning to, to redefine the identity of this man who would run away whose father I became in my imprisonment, verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and me. This little parenthetical phrase, there's something happening in the Greek language here. Onesimus was probably a common name for slaves in the ancient world because it means helpful or useful. And Paul is using a little bit of a play on words here. It's almost like he's acknowledging that maybe... Onesimus, helpful, maybe his nickname around Philemon's home had become unhelpful. See what he says here? Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to both you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, Paul says. Sending my very heart. Imagine how the community was hearing this letter read aloud in Philemon's home. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while. Maybe there's a sovereign purpose in all of this, Paul is suggesting, that you might have him back forever. I'm going to pause right there again. I wonder how Philemon is feeling at this moment, having this letter read in his household. Maybe there's other bond servants or slaves listening in, wondering how this is going to go. Onesimus is coming back? Paul is sending him back to us? That's interesting. How is Philemon feeling in this moment? I'm about to get unhelpful Onesimus back, the guy who ripped me off, the guy who ran away. Paul sending him back? Look what it says in verse 16. No longer as a bondservant. No longer as a slave. I'm sending him back to you, Philemon, but his status has changed. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? You see, first, Paul introduced this idea that he'd, he'd kind of taken a liking to this guy, Onesimus. He's become like a son to me. So Philemon might consider that for the first part of the letter. Okay, yeah, I, I love some of my bondservants like a son. I've taken a real fondness to some of them. But Paul now says, not only is he like a son to me, he, he's a brother. See, Paul is elevating the identity. He's elevating the status of this runaway bondservant of Onesimus. He's like a brother to me. And I wonder if Philemon in that moment was thinking, yeah, I think of some of my bondservants as brothers in Christ, those who've had, who, who have converted to Christianity. They're like brothers in Christ. Yeah, I get that. But Paul says here at the end of that verse, both in the flesh and in the Lord, you see, 
Paul is saying to Philemon that this slave who's coming back is no longer a slave. He's a brother, not just a brother in Christ, but he's a brother in the flesh as well. In every material way, Philemon, I want you to think of this returning Onesimus as a brother to you. All of the rights and privileges and care that a brother in your household would have, Onesimus now has. Why? Because we are all one in Christ. We get a new identity when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. All of us become equal at the foot of the cross, no matter what our previous status was. Paul would write in the epistle to the Galatians, you can put this up on the wall, Max, he says this to the community in Galatia, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. That's an identity statement. We've put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The unity that we experience at the foot of the cross becomes a unity that is expressed in Christian community. Even a runaway slave in the ancient world would be elevated to the status of brother, of Philemon, a wealthy man, a leader in his community. Because both Philemon and Onesimus are in equal need of the same thing, that is the forgiveness of sins. And they are both in equal need of those things, and they are both given that equally through the gospel, through the story of what happened on the cross for all of us. We're brothers. Jesus allows us back into the family of God, and God our Father is our, is our, is our um, we, are the, we belong to his household, and we are all equal in that household. We sang Joy to the World a couple of minutes ago, normally a Christmas carol. There's another Christmas carol we sing here on Christmas Eve, O Holy Night. You know this song? O Holy Night. And on verse 3, this amazing lyric, every Christmas Eve it just makes my heart soar when I hear this amazing lyric. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. For the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. When we are in Christ, our identity changes. And we become brothers and sisters with one another. Now, Paul's going to go even further in verse 17. He's first considered him like a son. And he says, actually, this one returning to you is like a brother. Not just a brother in Christ, but a brother in every way because of the, the equalizing force of the gospel in all of our lives. Look what he says in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me, partner. He's elevating Onesimus even higher than a brother. Partner's probably a business term. Philemon would have understood it well, like when you became partner in the law firm or your partner, your, your, your CEO of your hedge fund with the corner office. Paul is saying Onesimus is coming back to you not as a slave, but like a son, like, like a brother, like a partner in this enterprise, in this venture that we're all part of. I wonder how Philemon is feeling at this moment or how the other bond servants listening in are feeling. Does our status change too when Onesimus comes back? What does this mean for us? You know, the fact that Philemon, the epistle ends up in 
the canon, the 66 books that we call the Bible, is probably because the early church sent this letter all over the place. When the canon was formed, it was really just a recognition of the epistles that the church was using widely. This is probably not just one letter from Paul to Philemon that only had one audience. The early church probably grappled with this. What is our response as Christians to the institution of slavery? How does our identity change? How does each individual's identity change in Christian community? And they would have probably distributed Philemon among hundreds of house churches, saying this is our theology of slavery. This is how the gospel applied to the institution of slavery looks. And so it would have been widely distributed in the early church. So if you wonder what the Bible says about slavery, you can look to Philemon. That in Christ our status changes. And we become partners, all of us, because of what Christ has done for each one of us. Now in verse 18, Paul demonstrates the love of Christ. Philemon, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, Write this with my own hand. I will repay it. This is the only letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote where he doesn't mention the name of Christ. I think that's intentional because Paul is displaying for us the Christ life. Onesimus owes Philemon a debt. He stole something from his household and he ran away. There's no way that Onesimus could possibly repay someone like Philemon because he's a slave and Philemon is wealthy. He can't afford to repay it. So Paul steps in as the intercessor and he says, I'll sacrifice, I'll pay something he can't pay to satisfy justice for you. Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14 says this about what happened on the cross. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid our debt. Runaway fugitives of sin like us who couldn't possibly repay the creator of the whole universe. Jesus came in as the God-man. He's human, so he represented all of us in our sinfulness, yet he's also God. He's also divine, so he can afford the payment. And so when he died on the cross, when his blood was spilled, it was a price high enough to cancel the debts of all the sins of the whole world. Paul is showing us here in this letter in his offer to Philemon what it looks like to live out the gospel, to live the Christ life to step in and say, I will pay for this person who can't afford it. I will sacrificially do that. Continuing in verse 19, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Now Paul is saying, okay, finally, I'm going to need something back from you. I'm doing this huge favor for you. I'm bringing 
I'm sending Onesimus back to your household no longer as a slave, but somebody who's an equal partner in the gospel. I'm going to pay his debts for you. Now I want something from you in return. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is saying, all I'm really asking for is to to pray for me in my imprisonment. Refresh my heart. Make this arrangement possible, will you, Philemon? When he comes back into your household, I want to hear back. I want my heart to be refreshed that this all played out accordingly. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing, Philemon, that you will do even more than I say. I wonder if Paul put that in a letter knowing it was going to be read publicly, wondering if all eyes were on Philemon at this point. I wonder if everyone's looking at Philemon going, how are you going to respond to this, buddy? (laughs) And Paul says, I know, Philemon, you're going to do all this and more because you love the Lord too. Hmm. Verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you, Paul, ever hopeful. That he's going to be released from prison, just like we saw last week. We are a people of hope. Hope drives us. Hope anchors our souls. Paul is driven by hope as well. Prepare a guest room for me, Philemon. Keep praying for me enough, and I'll be, I'll be back with you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. I could go on another 20 minutes about each of those guys, but in the interest of time, we'll skip that one. And then Paul concludes where he began. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. This amazing, transformative letter begins and ends with reminders of God's unconditional love for us, the grace of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being there that day when this letter was read and the house church in Philemon's home. When I was a kid, my dad did this really cool thing. We would watch a movie on Friday night. We called it Family Movie Night. We'd watch the movie, and at the end of it, you know, you'd hit the power button on the VCR. And my dad would turn to us kids, and he would say, who did you identify with in that story? Who'd you resonate with? Did any character stand out? And, you know, I'd say, oh, I I really liked Peter Pan. Or my sister would say, I felt like I was like Wendy in that story. So I ask you, as we heard that letter being read, as you pictured Philemon's home, did you identify with any of the characters? When I think of that question, my immediate thought is, well, I'm like Paul, church leader, sacrificially, loving others, restoring justice. I'd like to flatter myself and think, (laughs) I'd probably be like Paul if I was in that story. You know, maybe I'm a little bit more like Philemon if I think about it. You know, I, I have quite a bit of influence in my life like he had and every, just about every Sunday I come into this house church right here and when the gospel is preached, when the Holy Spirit speaks it, it kind of wrecks me a little bit. And I realized there's some things in my life that are going to have to change. And I bet that was Philemon's experience that day. Wow. If the gospel is true, there's some things in my life that are going to change. The more I think about it, who am I in that story? Who are all of us? 
We are Onesimus. Slaves to sin. Running out the back door. The Bible says that our hearts are rebellious against the laws of God. Whether you admit it or not, whether you dress up your life or not, there's rebellion in our hearts because of sin. And we have absolutely no business being returned to the household of God if it was just up to us. But we have somebody who sends us back, who restores us, who pays the debt necessary. And our identity changes. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, partners. Because of his generous grace, grace to you and peace. Amen.